If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Oh my gosh, here we are. I want to talk about something that happens all year long, and those are those are marathons, right? Now, I, I, I need to be clear. I am not a born runner, okay? I was born with scoliosis, curvature of the spine. And I remember when I was very young, a doctor said to me, don't worry, honey, you can do anything in your life. You just, you probably can't run long distances. So years later, I'm like, well, don't tell me what I can't do. So I thought I'm going to train and run the New York City Marathon, which I did in 2005. It took me five and a half hours, but um, I did, I never stopped. I did run the whole way very slowly. You know, people wait for years and participate in so many qualifying races to be part of any marathon. But the Boston Marathon is, I mean, it's the ultimate, right? It's known as the world's oldest annual marathon, ranks as the world's best-known road racing event, bar none. I don't care what you people in Hawaii say. I know the Hawaiian Marathon's amazing, but no, it's Boston. So when I worked at Channel 7 in Boston— I was in the lead truck for the marathon, basically means I sat in the back of a flatbed truck facing backwards and right ahead of me were the runners or behind the truck. So I got to cover the Boston Marathon for three years straight. I mean, it was a thrill. You have to know the closer and closer to the finish line when you get into Boston proper. It's so beautiful and historic there anyway. So it's it's very fitting for the event to be held on Patriots Day, which celebrates the American Revolutionary War battles of Lexington and Concord, Massachusetts. And you know what? Forget all of that. Making it to the finish line is such a sense of accomplishment and relief. But on April 15th of 2013, just before 3 p.m., when runners were triumphantly sprinting across the finish line, There was no relief. There was no exhilaration. There was only horror because that's when a terrorist's first bomb exploded less than a block from the finish. And then 12 seconds later, a second bomb exploded 600 feet away. Three people were instantly killed. Another 100 seriously injured. Bones were shattered. Eardrums blown out. Limbs ripped off. Dozens of spectators were burned. Hundreds of lives were changed forever. And here we are. You know, it's been 10 years since that senseless horror. So how does someone recover physically and emotionally from from that or any trauma, quite frankly, to live an amazing and purposeful life? One survivor of the Boston Marathon bombings, you are about to meet that survivor, and he has done exactly that. Mark Fugareal's injuries were so brutal, he was the very last of the Boston bombing victims to be released from the hospital. But wait till you hear him now. His story, I promise you, will change your life. Mark, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, Liz. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled that you're here. Um, you know, we're we're just so happy you're alive. <laughs> Tell me about how you're doing today. You know, I'm doing great, doing amazing. Um, you know, I have a 16-year-old son. Um, 
um, just celebrating yesterday my second year wedding anniversary with my wife, Nicole Browder. Oh, Mazel Tov. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we met in 2018. And uh, we got married in 2021. That is wonderful. Absolutely. I'd love to, I just love to hear that because this is well, well after the explosion. Um, you know, I, part of me is like, I don't want to go back to that time. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I want my listeners to hear your whole story because they thrive on comebacks against all odds. These stories that this has got to be one of the very biggest comebacks. So if you could, you know, bring us back to that day in 2013. You were a spectator, right? Cheering on friends running the race? Yes. All 17 amputees from the Boston Marathon were all spectators. We were all supporting runners that we knew and loved ones. And who were the runners that you knew? Um, I actually got a phone call from a buddy of mine, J.P., and he said, hey, we're going to the marathon tomorrow. And my initial response was, yeah, no, I'm not going. <laughs> 35 years old. I've lived right outside the city of Boston, mm -hmm. like just a few miles outside. And I never went to the marathon. Just wasn't my thing. The crowd's not my thing. Mm -hmm. But a mutual friend of ours, and his name was Mike Jefferson. He's a Marine. He had just retired. And we grew up with him and we wanted to go support him because he was running the non-Earth soldiers he served with. Mm. So we did that. There was a group of us, about eight of us, that went down there that day. And, um, you know, the majority of us were critically injured. Uh, three of us actually lost our right legs. Me and Paul lost our right leg above the knee, and JP lost his leg below the knee. I also suffered severe damage to my left leg, which is a salvaged limb. 80% of my lower half of my body was burnt. I have shrap metal in my heart and my body's livid in BBs and debris. Still, there, there's some day. of the Still. remnant within you. Yeah, they won't remove it. They monitor the shrap metal that's in my heart. It went through the artery and lodged in my right atrium area. Oh, my goodness. Um, Brain injury. My mm -hmm. eardrums are blown out of my head. Um, <laughs> out of my ears, they were blown out. Uh, I had to do skin grafts and surgery to get those put back together. So as you were standing there, what was the atmosphere like? Did you was it exciting? Were you thinking, you know, this, this is this is fun, this is good? Oh yeah, I mean, it was crowded, right? Just crowded. I my anxiety was getting the best of me. Um, it was crowded, but the energy was great. It was a lot of families, a lot of people. It's cheering. It was exciting. There was people dressed up that were running. They were wearing costumes, funny outfits, you know, but just seeing these people that had just ran, we were 300 yards from the finish line. We were at the second bomb right, right in front of the forum restaurant. And uh, it was, it was just amazing. It was crazy to see the, you know, just feel the energy and see the amount of people and what, what these runners that were accomplishing, you know, was, was amazing. Yeah, there's nothing like Boston. There is nothing like that marathon. Now, since you were the second bomb, did you hear the first one go off? And what oh. was it like? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was massive. I mean, it was boom. It was clear as day to me that it was something serious. And as you look to your left down Boylston Street, because I was... 
when the runners are coming down, we were on both bombs were on the left hand side, right, coming towards the finish line. So boom, the bomb goes off. We look, and you know, we started talking. Like, what? My buddy was like, "Oh my god, what's that?" I said, "I don't know, but that is not good." I said, "I'll tell you right now, those people are going to need help. That's bad." Um, and then people started screaming, "Get away from the buildings!" So some people were thinking gas, you know, gas, you know, this, that. And sure. I was like, no, this is targeted, right? Too, too obvious, right? You're in a crowd, things like this, boom, this is, this is, this is something major. This is an attack. This is something, something's going on. I also was supposed to be traveling on September 11th. And when I saw that second plane hit on September 11th, cause I, my mom had yelled up to me about, she's seen the first one watching the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were brought, they were reporting the plane hit the building. And then I turned on and I saw the second one hit the plane, hit the building. And I knew, and it was such an eerie feeling and the same feeling. As soon as you saw what I saw with the smoke and the fire and the cloud, right? I said, that's, that's something. And, uh, 12 seconds later, boom, the one went off right next to my right leg. The second bomber was right next to me. Uh, I'm seeing in some of the surveillance footage, uh, me and him, I got pictures of me and him standing side by side. When you say him, um, you mean the terrorist? The younger brother. Yeah, one of them. The first brother set the first bomb off down by the finish line. The younger brother set the second one off up by the form restaurant. He was standing next to me in, uh, behind the tree, this little, little, little sapling tree. And he had the backpack he had walked up with, put it down by his feet, and he straddled it to protect it. And then as soon as the first bomb went off, that's how the FBI knew he looked right. While everybody else looked towards a blast, uh-huh. he looked away from it and walked away and detonated it when he got into the safe zone. And that's where the eight-year-old boy, Martin Richard, passed away and 21-year-old exchange student, Lindsay Liu, passed away right behind me. I remember. I remember. And that and that blast goes off. And initially, I'm sure you're completely discombobulated or not even aware of when you became aware, when you opened your eyes, what was your thought? I was laying on my back and my exact words were, Oh shit, they got me. <sighs> they got me. Like whatever just happened down the street just happened right where I was because I was looking at the same gray smoke mm-hmm. going everywhere. And I was on my back. And for me to be knocked on my back was like, unusual right well, well tell me how tall are you are you what, you know you work out you're you are an athlete right you played hockey and all these other sports yeah i had a physical physical job working for a union roofing and sheet metal company loading like equipment and loading material onto trucks and unloading and crane strapping strapping cranes and signaling and yeah i was i was in decent shape you know mm-hmm. i was about five nine almost five ten yeah uh probably about a buck sixty um you know fairly good shape I was, yeah, I played pickup hockey still as, you know, as an older man at 35 years old. Uh, but at through high school, I was, yeah, I was ran track. I played football, you know, I played hockey. Um, so, yeah, I knocked on my back. My leg was actually amputated instantly through the knee. I <sighs> couldn't stand up, but there's video of me trying to get up and the cop put me out on fire. Oh. I actually watched, watched the video from the FBI and seen me be put out three times, first time by the cop and then two other civilians. Uh, when I rolled over, my back was on fire, the jacket I had. And the guy poured, actually found a bear and poured it on me in the video because uh, I got the pleasure of watching, <laughs> I use those words lightly, mm-hmm. watching the video of the surveillance camera while they were questioning me. 
um, the FBI. So, yeah, it was um, everything. The ears were ringing. Um, when people were people running were up and talking, and could you could you hear them? Could you he- hear? Was it all muffled because your eardrums had been yeah, destroyed? It right? was very hard. It was it was very hard to um, understand, but I could I could hear. We need tourniquets. We need we need more. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the nurse, off-duty nurse Kayla Quinn, who came to my aid, she had actually stepped over me because I was in and out of consciousness. Okay, you're right. So I hit the ground hard. The blast. I was in and out, and uh, she thought I was dead. She stepped over me to help Lindsay Lou, but there was too many people trying to help. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge part too, like the people that ran in danger to help us it was amazing to see on camera and see pictures of so she stepped over me to try to help Lindsay Lou. and at that point there was just too many people there so she turned and couldn't get in and she's a nurse so she stepped back and i kind of tried to sit up and she was like whoa he's alive and she strapped on a tourniquet to me and tried to keep my keep me down because if my heart was above my wound bleed out right trying right. to keep up yeah. you know so she was talking to me and she's like, oh, crap, he's still on fire. We got to get his pants off. She's screaming for scissors. I panicked and I undid my own belt to help get what's left of my jeans. My jeans were blown off, except for like these Daisy Duke shorts that I now had on. And there's images on yeah. the web that you yeah. can see of that. But luckily to her, I could hear her talking and then firefighters that came down, they got me on a backboard, you know, put me in a neck brace and uh, they were screaming for the ambulances to stop, but nobody was stopping. And the guy was getting upset and someone told him they, they're full, they're full. Oh God. Wow. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we're going to be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so, were you thinking, wait a minute, what about the guys I was with? Yeah. Uh, so as I was laying there and they were talking to me, all I was thinking about was my son. You know, I just want to get home. I just want to see my son. I just want to see my son. And that was that was it. They were asking me questions like your name, how old you are, you know, where are you from? You know, and uh you know, I just said, I just want to, you know, I just want to get home. just want to see my son. And that was, that was pretty much it. I mean, I answered the questions for them. And, and then finally after them talking about the ambulances, I could hear them calling and they said 16 minutes, they're not going to make 16 minutes. Oh my and, goodness. And that's when I guess Jimmy Davis, a police officer came over and said, and again, I was in and out of consciousness, so I don't remember him talking. Um, but I guess he said, Hey, I can put him in my paddy wagon. 
And they said, and then I do remember someone saying, how many can you take? And he said, I don't, I could hear two. And, and I remember someone saying him and her and they, all of a sudden I got picked up and I felt coming off the ground and, you know, they were like, Hey, this might hurt. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt, you know? And then they put me in the paddy wagon and boom, boom, boom. I remember bouncing off the wall. Uh, one of the firefighters that was trying to hold me in position, it was tough being on a backboard on a slippery bench, you know, in the back of a van and Jimmy Davis and Shana, they, and then two firefighters, they had me and Roseanne Sedoya, uh, and then her now husband, Mike, it's a firefighter. And the, this other John Foley, I forget his hundred percent his name, the other firefighter that was holding me. Wait a place. minute. So the victim ended up marrying the firefighter. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! Big age difference too, but they're my favorite. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she wrote a book too, Roseanne. She's amazing. And Mike is absolutely amazing. He's a combat vet. He's a firefighter. He's just gets it done. The best. Yeah. He's the best. What hospital uh, did they take you to? Uh, Jimmy Davis got us to Mass General. And then last thing I remember was the doors opening. And that was it. That was that was it. And I was, my hand, yeah, you know, it was in the, you know, God's hands at that point. And I lived and I, they saved me and he saved me. And, you know, I was um, 45 days at Mass General. I was in the ICU for weeks. I was going through surgery day after day after day, every day. How like many? In and out, in and out. And uh, they had me in a medical-induced coma. And uh took two weeks for my son to be able to come in and see me. Um, what was that they, moment like when your son came in? No, uh, it was, you know, I was scared for him mm-hmm. to see me the way I was. I had tubes in my nose, bandages all over me, uh, burnt still. Um, I was in tremendous pain, uh, tremendous pain. They actually ended up putting an epidural in me and leaving it in for, for as long as they could without irreversible damage and infections. And then they actually took it out and put another one back in and just to keep the pain down because my left leg was so severely messed up. Mm. I made the um, Guinness Book of World Records. No, I'm just joking. Not really, but I, I made the um, New England Journal of Medicine. It was like a like a six page article. Hey, that's better. About, that's better. Yeah. How, how many doctors actually worked on me? You know, each surgery wasn't just one surgery. There was like three different doctors. You know, orthopedic surgeons, vascular surgeons, this that. There was skin grafts going on. It was they were just rotating tag team coming in, coming in, coming in. Um, it was amazing that what these doctors were able to do you know like you know the training and you know god had put them in the right place to save my life amen how many surgeries total did you keep count i i can't keep i couldn't keep count i i don't even know to be honest and i was a year you know for a year i was in and out of the hospital i was 45 days in the uh, mass general then 55 days in spalding but while i was at spalding i was going back and forth for day surgery then even after I got out of Spalding, I had to go back in for day surgery for my ears and more surgery. Like they prioritized certain surgeries and then got around to other surgeries after. Um, I still have a shoulder surgery that I haven't even gone through. And then I lived at Walter Reed Medical Facility in 2015. I got accepted down at Walter Reed and I lived there for a year and had I've had over five 
revisions on just my right leg from the amputation because of infections. When you were at Walter Reed, which of course is a military hospital, what kind of people did you meet? People who were recovering from obviously battle wounds and and what did you glean from their hope and their experience and what they were going through? I met, you know, some of the most amazing people ever, right? Um, At that point where I came in, there, there were only very few combat wounded veterans still there, um, but there was some coming in and out. But there was a lot of other injuries from veterans that had sustained from motorcycle accidents to training incidents to, uh, you know, just car accidents and different things and cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was honestly... It was tough. It was tough seeing some of these veterans that I'd seen slip through the cracks. You know, some of the guys we became friends with, you know, then when you start hearing their story and how long they've been there and people that haven't came to visit them and they're not getting out like they're, you know, it's, it was really, really sad when you bring a guy to the mall and, you know, he, we, we became friends with him and, you know, like, Hey, we're going to the mall. You want to come? And he's like, ah, always said no. And then finally he's like, yeah, I'll come with you. And we took him out and on the ride back, you know, he's crying in the back seat of my truck and telling me that that was the best day of his life in three years. Oh my God. He hadn't really been off the base doing anything. Um, so it's, it was, um, you know, my buddy Dave saved the guy across the hall. Um, he would have been dead if my buddy didn't see the door was cracked and the guy laying on the ground. And my buddy went in and, you know, grabbed him and called 911. And, they, you know, he got got him the help he needed before he passed. Um, it was it was tough. It was really tough to see um, our veterans being treated the way they were. But then there was, you know, amazing stories and some great people that really, I mean, the doctors down there, phenomenal. The communication to the physical and occupational therapist, phenomenal. Good. The physical therapy Good. was one of the best things I've ever, I've ever, ever experienced in my life. And Kelly, uh, I just actually, we just lost her. Uh, she was giving birth to her baby and she just passed um, a couple weeks ago. So that was really tough. Well, um, I think our, our listeners would be absolutely gobsmacked to know that this happened in 2013. And just three years later, you returned to the Boston Marathon to participate in the race with a hand cycler. Yeah. Yep. I was with the uh, freedom team made up of uh, wounded veterans with Achilles um, international. And um, yeah, I did Boston uh, three different times. Now I just did it <laughs> in April of this year. I've done New York twice. So I heard you ran New York. So we have that in common. I've done LA Detroit. And I also did the Marine Corps. I, 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 I'm, I'm literally speechless because I'm sitting there thinking, what's, what's he made of? Wow. I mean, that is gutsy from both a physical, but also a psychological standpoint to return to what had been obviously the most traumatic experience of your life. Did you have any trepidation or fear? Uh, no, no. I think, you know, I don't train for these marathons. I just do them. Um, it's so psychological to me. The brain is so powerful. It's, it's. It's a choice, it I is. believe. It is. To live, to life, you know, is a choice. And and that's what I do. I just choose to do it. And I don't 
control. I don't worry about stuff I can't control. I don't focus on things I can't control. I only focus on what I can control and decisions that I can make. Brilliant. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we're going to be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash claimant. Just go to indeed.com slash claimant right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash claimant. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tell me about meeting your wife. Oh, my wife? She's... <laughs> so I got... After a few years, after so it took me my recovery. I say is about three, three and a half years, um, and then I got involved more so with the mobility impaired community, mentoring kids with missing limbs and limb differences through an amazing camp called Camp No Limits. And I had also got involved with veteran organizations, and there was one Halo for Freedom. Dan okay. Bowman had put it on down in Texas, and I met some amazing people down here in Texas, and I stayed in touch with them, and I did Halo t- two years in a row. And my relationships grew with those people. And one of those people is Amy. And Amy had reached out to me about this girl, Nicole Browder, who is missing. You know, she was born with no arms and no legs. And she said, listen, this girl is amazing. And she would be great for that camp that you mentor with. I said, well, I'll send her a link. So I sent Nikki, my now wife, the link. And... (laughs) I'm, nothing, okay, I'm dying already, from. but go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. So that's how. So we met through a mutual friend through social media and me trying to get her involved. And then one of those other relationships at that Texas Halo for Freedom was a buddy of mine called Tim Clun, TK. And uh, he's been doing these celebrity softball games for years. We, I, He actually invited me down to do one with him and Marcus Luttrell in 2016. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, in Houston. Lone survivor. Yeah. So I came down and literally TK's wife said, Mark's going to be involved in everything you do because, you know, he's great. And then that's how I got tied up with these guys. And uh, so TK was doing an event, the Celebrity Softball Week with Matthew McConaughey, Toby Keith. It was the Red River rivalry. And um, so Nikki actually started liking my posts on Instagram from camp. And so I reached out to say, hey, did you check out Camp No Limits? And are you going to volunteer? Because they do one down in Texas. You'd be great. And she replied, ah, you know, she's shy. So she's like, I don't think so. I, you know, I'm a little shy. And I've done the camp mentor thing. And, you know, she said, but I'm interested in skiing. So I'm a skier and I love skiing. I think everybody should ski. So it made, I actually skied and felt like I was actually standing up and had legs again. And I did it in Breckenridge, Colorado. I hear about that. I, I hear about that. Whether it's it's uh, amputees or blind skiers, they say it changes their life. Just to hear the, feel the wind and making it down. 
It's there's nothing yeah. like it. So I talked to her about it, how she would ski as a person with no arms and legs. And she's like, uh, thanks, but you know, I'm too shy. I can't come up there. I don't know anybody. And I said, well, I have two families that come up skiing from Texas. If you'd come down to this event, if you, since you're in Texas, I don't know how far you are from Dallas, but we're going to be doing this event. And, and sorry to interrupt, but you, you're you not thinking at all romance at all. You're just thinking, no, okay, this is no, what I, I do. A- I reach out to to people who don't have limbs and we, we bring them, we bring them along to a new life. Yeah. And where she was from Texas, I knew that the people at this event were just solid people, great people, all trying to help people. They were all nonprofit organizations. I'm like, Hey, you might be able to benefit from this and receive some help. Cause as people with disabilities, it's, it's, it's tough. Life is tough. Life is hard. Um, so I sent her a link. She said no at first. Because she's like, I'd have to have my friend take me and blah, 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 blah. And she has to work. I said, well, here's a link. If you come up, you can meet a couple families that will go skiing. So you can develop a relationship with these families, get to know them. And then you could come up to Maine and ski in Maine in February. And uh, I had just raised that year probably close to 60000 for Camp No Limits. So I had a little pull in, you know. Okay. So she, uh, I sent her the link. And then she reached out because her girlfriend saw Matthew McConaughey and was like, we're going <laughs> like, <laughs> I want, I, I have vacation, but we're going to go up to Dallas. And so they came up to Dallas and um, cause we had like a pre-party. Then we had a you know, after party after the celebrity game. So that's how I met her. And that was history. We just stayed in touch because then her friend and her, and they met Chris and Memphis Lafferty and they were like, you know what, we'll come up skiing. And uh, so we stayed in touch about what she was going to need to bring, what the camp would supply for her and blah, 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 blah. And uh, yeah, and just one next thing you know, I'm down back in Texas on Christmas Eve. I mean, New Year's Eve. And that was it. It was just I couldn't deny the energy and, you know, that we had and how amazing she was. And that was it. Now the rest is history. I mean, right now, I'm just the happiest person alive hearing this story. It just, oh, it just makes me feel so hopeful on so many levels. But, you know, you could easily just live a private life, but you're not doing that now. You've created a network. It's called the Mark Network, M-A-R-C, like your name. Tell our listeners about this, what it does and, and... you know, what, what you hope to accomplish with it. So I was so blessed with the publicity around my event. So people would come and show me resources and help me and answer questions for me and reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets that. Right. And my network is that Mark's network. Like I have a huge network. I've always had a huge network. I have a big family. Um, you know, I talk to everybody. So Mark network, M-A-R-C stands for mobility, awareness, resource, community. So as I mentored families and, you know, meeting my wife and her family and and really learning, because I also volunteer for Granite State Adaptive Sports, kids with autism, it's um, equine therapy and skiing and cycling up in New Hampshire, Granite State, which is up in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. And uh, so I mentor and volunteer up there too. And I meet so many families as I even go into hospitals to see newly amputated families and kids and people mm-hmm. and adults. Uh, you learn the struggles 
you know, and I know what my struggles were for three and a half years. I'm still learning at 10 years out. Uh, so I want to create a platform, a social media platform where it's a mobile app. So it's global where families, because there's 300 to 500 scheduled limb amputations every year alone, just, I mean, every day, 300 to 500 every day in the mm, U S alone, every day. So, so that's 300 to 500 families that need answers, right? Like when I woke up at 35 years old, laying in that hospital bed, I didn't know what my life was going to be like. I didn't know what a prosthetic was. I didn't know where I was going to go to get one. My family was stressed. They were scared. Um, and I had the resources and I had people and we were still scared. And, you know, I still trying to find solutions to problems that I face every day. So I'm trying to create that network where people that have been living with spinal cord injuries, amputations, MS, Parkinson's, CP, ALS, any other dis disability that affects your mobility, and they can provide answers and resources to new families facing these same challenges. And, you know, when you Google stuff, it's whoever pays the most is at the top, not always the best, you know, and it doesn't maybe relate to your disability or in your network or your neighborhood. Oh, sure. Um, I know there's nonprofit organizations out there that are in people's backyards that they don't even know about, like wheelchair basketball or sled hockey. So you bring right, it right all together. Backyard. You you know of all these and you can connect once you find out the location of this family that's grieving and going through this total upheaval. Yeah. Uh, strokes, right? Like, oh, my dad just had a stroke. Well, how am I going to get him in and out of the bathtub? Ask the community. Just ask. Just say, hey, my dad has a stroke. And someone on the community is going to answer that and say, this is what you should expect. These are some products that we use as a family with my mom who had a stroke, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm building. I'm just trying to build a resource, a quick early on in the recovery is the most important. More people, I've, phone, I've gotten phone calls from families. Like my son lost his leg in a motorcycle accident. He is so depressed. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And I'm like, well, what did your son do before? He's afraid he can't go back to work. He was a heavy equipment operator. I said, no problem. I'll come visit him. And I videotaped myself driving a Bobcat skid stair, driving oh. my excavator. And oh. I showed up at that hospital and I showed him, bro, your life isn't even remotely over. You just got introduced to a whole new world of opportunities. I said, you know, and it's, I want to provide that hope early. So the positive attitude and they work and strive to become what they can become and inspire young kids to be athletes that they can become in a, in a mobility impaired sport program. That's what I'm building. I've been doing this podcast for four years. I have never asked my listeners to donate for anything. Okay. That's, that's just not what we do, but I feel like a lot of listeners are hearing this and the way you broaden the aperture to things like strokes and other physical ailments beyond these tragedies. I, I can hear people saying, what was the name of that? I'd like to donate or I'd like to call. Can you just give the link or, or yeah, like the website? Because yeah. I can hear in my head, my listeners are saying, Liz, 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 I want to give money or I need this for need my father who has dementia. Yeah. So my grandfather suffered from Alzheimer's, right? And 
we went years and years without knowing about that special lock. That's a fire alarm lock. So you can lock it, hide the key so they can't get in and out of the house. Because my grandfather ended up on the main street at two in the morning in his underwear in the middle of the winter. But the lock up top will free if there's a fire in the house. It'll open so he can get out. But during the night when he's sleeping, he can't get out because my grandmother would hide the key. Um, So the website, let me get to that. The website is www.marknetwork.world. And we do have a Kickstarter. It's probably about 10 to 12 days left on it. Um, We're trying to raise the money to help with the hosting because we're just in the beta testing stages. Okay. Um, But we are allowing people to join. It's in the Apple and Google store already. Um, And we're just filling out the back end with all the resources. We're going to be working on the geolocation for like different events as well as so people can find events like the Abilities Expo is an amazing event people don't know about. They're in seven different cities um, every year. And if you miss it, you miss an opportunity to find great products. Mm. So the website is www.marknetwork.world. And that's Mark with a C. Got it. But you can go in app stores in the Google or Apple store and it's Mark, M-A-R-C, Network 2.0. You can download it. It's free. Like that's it. It's free to the network. We're looking for corporate sponsors, right? You can advertise if you're a prosthetic company, physical and occupational therapy company. And that's, we're providing more, Ugh. a lot of it's geared towards the families and the caregivers, right? As well as the people suffering from the disability. But it's also for the industry to ask, to talk to their patients and figure out what you could do better to make their experience in life better. Because most physical and occupational therapists I know are doing it because their grandfather or their grandmother mm-hmm. or their father was an amputee, or they just want people to get better. And they care. So wasn't that better? Like if you had a patient as a physical therapist and you said, I have an amputee wearing the X3 prosthetic leg and I'm having a hard time showing him how to walk downstairs. Is there anybody that can help me? Nothing better than coming from me. I walk downstairs every day, you know, (laughs) and I can give that answer to those physical therapists, but I'm not the only one. I'm like this little guy in the world of these amputees. I mean, mind blowing. Look at Amy Purdy dancing with the stars. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she's phenomenal. She's a snowboard. A Ins- skier. Inspirations you know I mean? everywhere. Inspirations everywhere. everywhere. You're an inspiration. Just hosting this talk show. <laughs> oh, listen, uh, you're a gift to me and to the listeners. As we finish up, what do you want to say to people who have been through something horrible and feel exactly like how that young man felt, oh, my life is over. I can't go back to work. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to ask for help. My life is not worth anything now. That's hard to hear, right? Thinking that someone feels that way because nobody should feel that way. My advice is seek help, seek support. I am where I am today because I got support. And it's also for people that aren't suffering to support other people. So go out and support somebody. If you're not suffering, help somebody that might be suffering. Mm. Support, support, support. But also focus on what we can control. We can't control the past. We can't change it. I can't make my leg will never grow back. No matter how mad I get about losing my leg or upset, 
it's never coming back. So I'm going to focus on what I can focus on and what I can change. And that's decisions moving forward and how I want to live my life. So I tell people, seek support and focus on what we can control, not what happened. Mark, I am speechless. I really am. Thank you. Thank (laughs) thank you you for telling your story and for letting our listeners understand there is always hope where there is life there is hope. I wish you and the Mark Network total success, utter success. And when you're in New York, come say hi. I want to meet you. I need to like download whatever smart smart card is in your brain and in your heart because it is golden. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's an offer we make with corporate sponsorships. Like I will come and speak. I do do motivational speaking too, you know, and that's a part of the package when you sign on as a sponsor for businesses out there. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Mark Fuca Real. Oh boy. I hope I hope this one sticks with you guys a long time. I really do. Something tells me every single one of you somehow either relates to this or knows someone who relates to his story. And you should you should spread this podcast, okay? Fly be free. I give you free reign to tell everybody, listen to this episode. It will it will change your entire outlook and, and hopefully your life for the better. All right. I will be on television, as you know, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Claim and Countdown. And as always, I love you guys. I love you for having this, the will, the, making the time and for appreciating this podcast and the, and the message it sends. Big kisses. See you soon. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.